Happy Thursday. Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. Today we are talking about arms. Evlo arms are real. <laughs> so many of our members notice more muscle in their arms doing Evlo than they ever have before. So today we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about some quote unquote secrets, which aren't really secrets. I did not make any of this up. It's just what I've learned about human anatomy and physics, but we're going to break it down today as it applies to the arms. Before we get into this, I would so appreciate if you left a review, if you're listening on Apple podcasts, or if you are listening on Spotify, you can actually now rate our podcasts. So if you um, want to give your star rating, if you're listening on Spotify, that is how we grow. I don't take advertising. I don't plan to ever take advertising because I like to get straight to the point. So we grow with um, reviews. And then also, I just want to say that we have eight free classes. If you want to try our uh, method, you can try for free, totally free. You can keep the classes as long as you want. You can take them over and over and they continue to be effective and you can continue to apply some of the principles that we talk about, progressive overload, things like that. And you'll see benefits from just taking those classes over and over. You don't even have to join Evlo. So I will put that link in the show notes if you want to give our classes a go. All right, let's get into the episode. So why do so many of our members notice more muscle growth in their arms, really in their whole body, but a lot of them notice in their arms first? Why do our members notice more muscle growth in their arms, but it doesn't like wear down their joints? Why is that? And it's because we target the arm muscles and all of the muscles using physics principles. And the beauty is, is that when you understand and apply some of these principles that I'm going to talk about today, you can effectively target and grow your muscles, but with less strain and less stress on your joints. So you can gain strength in the upper body with less neck, wrist, elbow, shoulder pain. And this is because you mesh together physics with human anatomy. And the beauty of that, of understanding those two worlds of science is that you can create a fitness program that feels really effective and yet doesn't wear you down. And again, this is, some of these principles are just like the basics. I mean, I cue a lot more in classes. We cue a lot more in classes about how to modify things if you need to based on your own anatomy. And those are more like nuanced things that we're not going to talk about today, but we're going to talk about the basics of physics and the basics of uh, how we mesh physics with human anatomy. So I've talked about these principles in other podcasts, but I know it can be dense and I know that sometimes it's more helpful to apply these principles to specific muscle groups so that you can have lots of examples and hopefully conceptualize it a little bit better. We could probably talk about, you know, each individual muscle in the body and specifically the upper body, but today I want to constrain our focus to one muscle group and that's the deltoids or the shoulders. And as I was talking about last week, the nervous system or the you know brain, spinal cord, and all the nerves, that's the software. And your muscles, your bones, your ligaments, that is the hardware. You can't have one without the other. You have to have software in order to operate the hardware. In order to take instructions from the software, you have to have good hardware. So both mechanics and your nervous system are equally as important. And you can understand both and exercise in ways that optimize both of these systems together 
in order to ultimately function your best and see the best results with the least wear and tear or with the least cost to you know, your joint health and the way you feel and your energy levels and all of those things. So today we're going to talk about the hardware, specifically of the deltoids of an, of that shoulder muscle and how to utilize gravity and mechanics and meshed with your own human anatomy to create stronger shoulder muscles. So let's start with some basic anatomy of the deltoids. And if it's helpful to look up a picture of the deltoids, I always suggest that so you can see what muscle I'm talking about if you don't know. But the deltoids are a large shoulder muscle. They move your arm out to the side, so it's called abduction, abduction. They move your arm straight in front of you. That's called flexion, so arm straight out in front of you. And then they also kind of move your arm behind you, so extension. And then horizontal abduction is also what your posterior deltoids do. So there are three heads of the deltoids, which you can kind of target in different ways and different exercises. And the deltoids spread like a cuff kind of from the top of your shoulder, and then they converge into one common point on your humerus or on your arm bone. So let's break down each of these individually, and I'm just going to briefly go over the anatomy. We're not going to get into this too much, so hang with me. So the anterior deltoid or the front portion of your deltoid starts at your clavicle or your collarbone. You can feel this for yourself and inserts on your humerus or your arm bone, kind of about midway down your upper arm bone is where the insertion is. And its primary role, the anterior deltoid, is to bring your arm straight in front of you. And you'll see us challenging the anterior deltoid in movements like narrow presses. When you're on your back, arms are next to you, you're pressing your arms straight up and down, kind of like a chest press, but your arms are just closer into your body. So that targets the anterior deltoids. And then it also gets worked a little bit in chest presses, so in a more classic chest press with the elbows at 45 degrees, and then also gets worked in push-ups. But we tend to target it more specifically using a movement like a narrow press. And this muscle is often confused as a pec pectoral muscle, a chest muscle, but your pecs are actually slightly below and towards midline. So again, if you need to look up a picture of that, you can. So that's the anterior deltoid. The middle deltoid is in between the anterior and the posterior. It's kind of the middle of that shoulder. This attaches on your acromion, which your acromion process is the kind of very top of your shoulder blade. If you were to feel, um, if you were to like kind of go down your neck to the very top of your shoulder, you'll feel this bony prominence at the very top. That's your acromion process. So it ins has insertions there, and then it attaches down in the same place where your anterior deltoid attaches in the middle of the arm. And this muscle is most active when your arm abducts, abducts, or moves away from your midline out to the side. So you'll see us working this muscle with sideline lateral raises, which we'll go over here in a moment. And then the posterior deltoid is the back part of this muscle. And it's smaller, but it's still important. It attaches from the spine of your scapula, so also your shoulder blade, and inserts on the humerus, the arm bone, the same spot that the anterior and middle deltoid insert. And this muscle is primarily responsible for horizontal abduction. So kind of when your arm is out at 90 degrees, kind of moving your arm out to the side and forward. We target this muscle in side-lying flies with the shoulder blade still. And again, we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's also worked in most rowing variations. So that's the basic anatomy and the origin insertion. 
Let's now talk about the optimal way to move these muscles. So again, for your anterior deltoid, something like a narrow press when you're laying on your back, narrow press. For the middle deltoid, a side-lying lateral raise is great. So you are either kind of in a kickstand position with one hand down, one knee down, and then you're moving that top arm out to... um, like ab in through abduction, or you can lay all the way flat on your side and move your arm out in abduction. Use a really light weight if you're doing this. And then posterior deltoids is those kind of side-lying flies. And again, I do these a lot on my Instagram. So if you're not an Evelyn member and you don't know what I'm talking about and you need a visual, you can go on my Instagram and usually you can find some um, examples of these exercises and kind of get a visual because I know they're a little different than what we would do traditionally. So we're going to talk about moving these muscles. The best way to move any muscle is to anchor one end and move the other end. So if you are moving both the origin and the insertion of a muscle, if you're moving the attachment point on both ends, you can't load that muscle as effectively. It's kind of like a cat chasing its tail. And a lot of traditional exercises are moving both the origin and the insertion, and it's just not as effective. It's like if you're trying to launch a rubber band, you want to anchor and kind of hold one side and pull the other side, or a slingshot, I guess I should say, is that you want to hold the slingshot still and then pull the rubber band back to launch it, right? You wouldn't want to move the handle of the slingshot towards the rubber band that you're or band that you're pulling back, right? So anchor one, pull on the other. And that's the same thing with muscles. So in the case of the deltoids, we mostly want to keep the shoulder blade relatively still, the scapula relatively anchored, and move the arm towards 90 degrees. So if we're in a side line, if we're working middle deltoids and we're in that side lying raise, on you're on your side, your shoulder blade stays relatively still and you move your arm out to the side. Now, I I tell people to keep their shoulder blade anchored and immediately what we want to do, and this is something that we have to break kind of in our fitness culture, is we immediately want to like push the shoulder blade down and back and that is not what I'm suggesting. This could probably be a different podcast episode about cues that go against your uh, human anatomy and mechanics, but we don't want to push the shoulder blade away from the ear. You also don't want the shoulder blade shrugged up towards the ear. So my recommendation is to shrug the shoulder blade up and down, go through the full range of motion a couple of times before you do this movement. Find what feels about right in the middle. So the shoulder blade isn't squeezed up towards your ear. It's also not really dropped down. It's about right in the middle. And then you want to keep that shoulder blade relatively still as you move the arm through that abduction. So moving your arm out to the side, and down. And the reason we want to keep that shoulder blade relatively still is because the deltoids insert on the shoulder blade and we want to keep that end still as we're moving the uh, the other insertion point at the humerus. However, I will say that because of the mechanics of the shoulder and the relationship between your shoulder and the scapula or the shoulder blade, the shoulder blade will begin to move a little bit as your arm moves about 60 degrees away from your body. And this is totally fine and it's to be expected because the beginning part of the movement is where you're loading the deltoids the most anyways. And we'll talk about that here in a moment when we talk about phase loading. But this should happen. The shoulder blade should move a little bit because in order for the arm to continue to move through its arc of movement, the scapula has to 
elevate and lift out of the way a little bit. Otherwise, that your shoulder blade, your scapula, will pinch down on structures of the of the arm or of the humerus. This is another reason why I don't just cue shoulders back and down when you're lifting your arm overhead. It's kind of a recipe for shoulder impingement, right? Because that scapula is pushing down on the structures of the shoulder. So it my point is, is that you can't keep the shoulder blade completely still as you're doing this movement, but you want to keep it relatively still, at least until you get up to about 60 degrees of movement. And by the way, this is another reason why overhead presses aren't actually the most ideal exercise for loading the deltoids. Because when your arm is pressing 90 degrees and above, there's a lot of movement of the scapula. As your arms press 90 degrees and up overhead, the shoulder blade or the scapula moves a lot. And again, this should happen so that your shoulder blade isn't pinching down on structures of the shoulder. But because both the origin and the insertion of those deltoids, the origin at the scapula and the insertion at the humerus, because both of them are moving a lot as you press up 90 degrees and above, it's like, again, that cat chasing its tail. So it isn't as ideal for strengthening the deltoid. It's actually probably strengthening your upper trap a little bit more effectively than it's strengthening your deltoid. And then another reason why overhead presses aren't aren't my favorite for the deltoid specifically is because of the unintentional, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's tangential, I guess I should say. Um, Another reason they aren't my favorite is because of the unintentional load to the rotator cuff muscles. Because it's difficult for most people to get to full external rotation of their arm from the starting position of an overhead press, most people will have a slight tilt forward of the forearm. So it's hard for people to get into that position and have the forearm perfectly kind of perpendicular to the floor. So because of this, there'll be slight internal rotation of the humerus. And again, this is, you know, just what's more comfortable for most people. It's not very comfortable for most people to have perfect, perfectly perpendicular forearm. So what happens is because you have this slight tilt of the forearm forward, your rotator cuff muscles, specifically your infraspinatus, will be unintentionally loaded with the weight that you're holding because your infraspinatus muscle is trying to resist internal rotation of the humerus. So that little rotator cuff muscle, which you're probably not trying to load with this exercise, is getting load and strain, probably getting overstrained because it's trying to resist that internal rotation. There's nothing wrong with working your infraspinatus at all. I'm not saying that. But it usually isn't the intentional muscle that you're trying to target with an, something like an overhead press. And it is smaller and less powerful than the deltoids and upper traps. So it can be overloaded unintentionally with something like an overhead press. When I was in clinical practice, many people who did a lot of overhead lifting and overhead pressing or even workers who, uh, like I worked with a few construction workers who did a lot of just like overhead movement for their job. And they had a lot of tenderness and pain kind of at the back of their shoulder where the infraspinatus was, sort of like back right behind the armpit. Like if you press on that and yourself, like um, if you go like touch your armpit and then go travel backwards towards your shoulder blade and kind of press right there, if that's super tender, it could be because of um, strain, you have some strain to the infraspinatus. So they, those people that were doing a lot of overhead pressing were overstraining their infraspinatus 
and probably not working the deltoids as effectively since overhead presses aren't the most ideal motion to work the deltoids. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that overhead presses are ineffective. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do them. I just prefer when we're talking about what is the optimal way to load a specific muscle with the least amount of strain to the skeleton or to the joints, I just prefer to work the deltoids in other ways. Okay, so that's movement selection. Now let's get into phase loading, which is another important concept for developing muscles and keeping joints happy. So first we went over the anatomy. It's important to kind of know where those muscles originate and insert so we know how to move them best. Second, we went over how to move those muscles, right? We want to relatively keep the shoulder blade still while we're moving the arm. We talked about shoulder blade placement. And now we'll talk about phase loading. And this is a fun kind of complex topic, but it can change the game when you start to understand it. And if you're an Evlo member and this is kind of going over your head, you don't have to worry about it because most of our exercises are early phase loaded. We apply this to most of our exercise selection, so you don't have to worry about it. But you'll notice that we don't often do traditional shoulder exercises or deltoid exercises like a standing lateral raise or standing front raises. And again, not that these exercises are wrong or bad or dangerous. I don't want anyone to be afraid of those movements, but we just don't do them as often, or I guess I should say we don't prioritize them because we prefer to load the deltoids in a way that more accurately matches their capabilities for producing force. So we want to match gravity with kind of principles of your musculoskeletal system. Muscles are are typically, there are some exceptions, but muscles are typically stronger when they're elongated and they're weaker or less able to produce force when they're shortened. So in general, they are stronger when they're longer and weaker when they're shorter. And like launching a rubber band, it has, or I guess I'll use a slingshot example, it has more capabilities to go further the more it's stretched back. So if you, if you, the more you stretch a slingshot, the further it's going to go. So knowing this principle, we can attempt to match our exercise selection so that gravity is creating the most force when muscles are longer and less force when the muscles are shorter or weaker. So again, this is kind of complex and sometimes hard to conceptualize without like a visual, but you can feel this in certain exercises. So you'll notice that in a sideline lateral raise where we're working that middle deltoid, the hardest part of the movement is at the very beginning or maybe when your arm is maybe like a few inches away from your body. And you'll notice as your arm approaches 90 degrees, the movement gets easier. And this is because of phase loading. It's because of gravity. It's because the lever is the longest when our arm is by our side and it gets shorter as your arm comes up. Now that's if you're lying on your side, but it's the opposite if you are standing. So in a standing lateral raise, there's little or no work in the beginning of the movement. You'll notice that, right? As you, as you begin the movement, it feels really easy. And then as it gets to the top, as you approach 90 degrees, it gets progressively harder. And this is because of the relationship of your body to gravity. So the side-lying lateral raise early phase loads the deltoids. The one where you're laying on your side and you're reaching your arm out to the side, that early phase loads the deltoids. 
since the hardest part of the movement is when the deltoid is more elongated and the movement gets easier as the deltoid approaches its fully shortened position. So this matches, quote unquote matches, I mean, it doesn't perfectly match, but you know, it gets pretty dang close, matches how the deltoid can produce force and it tends to be safer and more effective. So the standing lateral raise late phase loads the deltoids. It does the opposite, meaning that the exercise is the hardest when the muscle is fully shortened at 90 degrees and is less able to produce force. So because there is the most load to the deltoid and a standing lateral raise at the very top of the movement, this can be a place for compensation and vulnerability, especially if the resistance is too heavy. So that's one of the reasons, that's the first reason why we don't prioritize a standing lateral raise. And then the second reason we don't prioritize this exercise is because this exercise also misses the opportunity to load the deltoid through the first half of the motion, you know, at the very beginning of that motion, when that muscle is stronger. So basically it's flipped. It's the the physics are flipped to what your anatomy can handle or tolerate. So that's just one example. We do it with, so it's the same with a sideline fly for posterior deltoids, and it's the same for a supine or um, laying on your back narrow press. So this, the sideline fly and the narrow press and the sideline abduction all early phase load those deltoids in different ways. And then something like a front raise for the anterior deltoids when you're standing, standing front raise, standing lateral raise. Um those late phase load the deltoids. So again, not wrong to late phase load the deltoids, just not as much bang for your buck. Okay, so we talked about the anatomy, we talked about movement selection, and then we talked about phase loading. And you can phase load any muscle in your body. It just takes knowing a little bit of anatomy and understanding physics a little bit. Let's go through some other tips and then we'll wrap it up. So I would recommend when you're working the deltoids in these exercises that I suggested, specifically the sideline lateral raise and the sideline fly, is to use a really light weight because the mechanics and the levers of this exercise are super efficient. And the more efficient your levers get, the less resistance you have to use. People think that using more resistance is always better or always more optimal. That's not necessarily true. It has to do with how far away the weight is from the axis that's moving. So use a really light weight, um, especially if you have shoulder stuff, like you, you could use like a literal like one pound and still feel your shoulder blade really getting work and worked and going really slow. On that same token, my recommendation, especially if you've never done these before, is to use body weight a few times and just kind of test out the path of motion and make sure that your shoulder feels really good. It's really smooth. And then just add a little tiny bit of weight, go through that, see how that feels, maybe add a little bit more weight. But again, you do not have to use a heavy weight with this exercise. Um, another tip that I have for you in side lying raises, bring your arm slightly in front of you. So your arm's not quite at your side, it's like slightly in front. And this is called the scaption plane. And this tends to just be more comfortable shoulder movement. It just tends to match how the mechanics of the shoulder, the ball and socket joint, how it moves. So, and it doesn't compromise the work to the deltoid. So just bring your arm slightly in front of you so it's not quite glued at your side. And then my third tip here is 
try backing up against a wall the next time you work your middle or posterior deltoids and feel your shoulder blade kind of against the wall. So set your shoulder blade into the wall. Again, do what I talked about before where you kind of shrug the shoulder blade up and down, maybe move it forward and backwards. See if you can find what feels like about neutral and see if you can keep that shoulder blade relatively still as you move into your side-lying lateral raise and as you move into your side-lying reverse fly. So that will be a great kind of proprioceptive cue for you to see like, am I really moving a lot through the shoulder blade or am I keeping the shoulder blade relatively still and just moving the arm? So you'll really feel those deltoids light up if you try that. Again, try it with body weight to start and then slowly add resistance. Make sure that you feel, you don't feel like you're in any kind of pain ever in any exercise. And if you are, you need to use lighter weight or skip the exercise altogether. And then finally, this applies with anything, but I feel like I just need to give you all a little reminder. We want to make sure that we're always applying the five basics because if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying these things, but you're not applying the five basics, it doesn't work. So the five basics are, and I've done a whole podcast about this that you can go back and listen to um, a few weeks back. I will link that in the show notes, but here's the five basics. Number one is programming. So avoiding overuse. We don't want to work the arm muscles every single day. People think that that's what you need to do. We only work our um, arm muscles like each muscle group, we probably only work one or two times a week max. So we don't want to be working our arm muscles every single day. I think people think that they want an area to change, so I need to work it more often. No. What we want to do is program so that you're working you're working one muscle. Let's say you're working your deltoids on Tuesday, and you are really cooking those deltoids. You're getting close to fatigue. Your deltoids are really tired. We want to give them a few days, maybe even an entire week to recover. And again, I think this is one of the reasons why people are able to see muscle growth, but their joints aren't so worn down. So number one is programming, definitely avoiding overuse. Number two is exercise selection. So again, we talked about that a lot in this episode how exercise selection is super important. Not all exercises are created equal. Number three of the five basics is progressive overload. We want to slowly be adding more resistance and or more volume as you get stronger. So you'll find over time, the weight that you're using, the weight that you once used just feels too light. It doesn't feel challenging enough. It doesn't feel like you're getting close to failure. That's when you go up in resistance a little bit. And for something like the shoulders, if you can go up by one pound, that's my recommendation. If you're not ready to go up in, in weight, you can add a little bit more repetition. So progressive overload, it's number three. Number four of the five basics is nutrition. Got to make sure we're eating enough protein. <laughs> um, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert in nutrition. It's not my formal education, so I don't like to give a ton of advice there. Um, but we do have, if you go down on my podcast list, I did a podcast with Catherine Andrew about how to eat for muscle growth. And then the fifth basic is recovery, making sure that, you know, exercising every single day is not productive. We do need rest. Our bodies need rest. Our bodies need recovery, um, both to give our chance, our nervous system a chance to recover and not be so stressed out. And also for our nervous system to go in and heal that muscle that we, uh, that we damaged in our workout so they can go grow stronger. All right, so we went over the anatomy of the deltoids. We went over how to move the shoulder to most optimally target the deltoids with the least amount of joint strain. We talked about phase loading. 
We talked about, um, I gave you some tips, including the five basics. Go listen to that podcast about the five basics if you need to learn more about that. And that is it. So there is a glimpse behind Evlo arms and and why Evlo is so effective at building muscle and yet doesn't completely deplete you and how you can gain muscle and strength and improve fitness without the cost of a bunch of joint wear and tear and joint achiness and all of that. So again, I will link eight classes in the show notes if you want to give those a go or if you're ready to join our program and feel it for yourself, you are welcome to. We have a 14-day trial. It's evlofitness, evlofitness.com. And that is it. We will see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.